Welcome back to the Hoop Journal podcast. I wanted to wait until the first wave of free agency passed before I started talking about these deals. But now that the majority of notable free agents have signed their deals, it's time to give my reactions to everything that we saw in the past 48 hours. We're still waiting to see what happens with guys like Reggie Jackson, Dennis Schroeder, uh, Laurie Markinen. But for the most part, all the notable free agents have been signed. So let's dive right into it. I wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about like the teams in order of what, what the teams did or just go in order of like the biggest contracts. So I'm going to jump around a little bit. I'll start by talking about some of the early max extensions that we saw. Steph Curry got a four-year extension worth $212 million. That makes it his second $200 million plus contract. Obviously, this is a well-deserved deal for Curry, and I think everyone expected him to sign it, but I do wish that he maybe would have waited and used some leverage against the Warriors front office to kind of force him to make some more win-now moves. Uh, it was reported that him, Clay, and Dre all wanted to play with Beal, and then Joe Lacob had those quotes talking about how they most likely will not be making a trade for a star player, claiming that they already have the stars there in Golden State, which is true. But I do wish that Curry would have sort of tried to force the owner's hands a little bit to make more of a win-now move because I think this roster as is is most likely not going to make a finals. And so I would have liked to see them trade Wiseman and some of those picks that they had to acquire a guy like Bradley Beal. Now, for all we know, they did try that and it just didn't work out. Uh, it was reported that Beal wants to stay in Washington. He won't request a trade. So maybe they did kick the tires on that and it just wasn't available. And now they're sort of pivoting towards, you know, saying that they're going to try to bridge this gap and build for the future. But I just wish Curry would have used a little bit more leverage. I think he definitely doesn't want there to be even the rumor out there of the potential for him to leave. You know, I think he wants to be seen as loyal because he is a very loyal player when it comes to committing to this Warriors team. But I just wish we would have seen him use a little bit of his leverage to try and get the Warriors to make more win-now moves. But ultimately, good contract for him. It probably won't be his last contract. I imagine he signs one more to take him through the end of his career. But overall, not much to say about this. I mean, Curry's worth the absolute maximum amount of money you can give him. So a good deal for both sides for sure. Same with Trey Young. He got a five-year max extension uh, worth $207 million. Of course, he's the franchise player for the Hawks. They had to max him. There's, there's no other course of action other than to give him a max deal and the same with SGA he got a five-year deal it isn't worth as much now because of what's known as the Rose rule his his deal right now is five years 172 million but it will escalate up to that 207 that Trey Young gets if Shea Gilgis Alexander makes an all-NBA team Trey Young of course has already made an all-NBA team so his deal was already up to the full 207 million. Both great deals for for both players and both franchises those are you know the franchise point guards for those teams and so they locked them up for five years, really six years too, because they haven't finished out their rookie deals yet. So those guys will be with those teams for the next six seasons plus. They got them locked up. Great deals. Chris Paul, of course, he got an extension from the Suns. He got four years, $120 million. Now, when this one came across the timeline, I was pretty shocked. I mean, I was expecting him to stay with the Suns, but to get four years was very surprising. A great move by Chris Paul and his agent to lock up four years. This will take him through age 40. And now the 30 million a year, I don't think is that big of a deal. I think that's still decent value for Chris Paul. But to be paying him for the next four seasons is what gets me a little bit worried. Rather than pay Chris Paul 30 million a year over the next four years, I would have rather given him three years for around 120 million. You know, 40 for three years, I think makes more sense for the Suns than 30 over four years. That fourth year, I think could really come back to bite them. Because as we know, all contracts are tradable in the NBA, especially an expiring one. 
but it's definitely not, you know, they're definitely not getting value back for a 40 year old Chris Paul making 30 million. So when that time comes, I think they might be in some trouble, but given the situation they're in right now, they had to bring him back no matter what he wanted. He basically had all the leverage there in that situation, just given that someone like the Knicks could have also offered him money. So he definitely had the leverage there. The Suns were kind of at his mercy and they had to give him whatever contract he wanted. But that fourth year, it's a little bit concerning. However, I don't think the Suns are worried about, you know, 2025 right now, to be honest. So I think they're looking at it as a pretty good deal. I think we can expect Chris Paul to be at least worthy of this contract for the next two seasons. And then after that, I would start to worry. But again, the Suns are not worried about 2024 right now. They're worried about 2022. So I think at the end of the day, this is probably the smart deal. I mean, the alternative letting Chris Paul walk was really not an option. So I don't love the fourth year on this, but ultimately the Suns did what they had to do. Jimmy Butler also got an extension, five years, $184 plus million. This is another one where, you know, what else were the Heat going to do? They weren't just going to not sign him. But at the end of the day, paying a 36-year-old Jimmy Butler basically $45, $50 million. I mean, that's that's pretty insane. But, you know, they, they got to do what they got to do. They can't just let him walk. This is the cost of doing business. If you're a team like the Heat, a team that clearly is trying to contend for a title, they had to bring him back for the number that he wanted, which is obviously the max. So I don't love it. And I'm sure Heat fans are not going to love it a few seasons down the line. But their window right now is the next two seasons. So they don't really have to worry about that money right now. You know, they'll figure that out later, as they always do. So I don't love the number, but ultimately it's the cost of doing business in the NBA. So can't really complain about it. Mike Conley got a three-year deal to come back to the Jazz worth $72 million. This is another one where, you know, I don't love the value on it. I think just the average annual value is a little bit higher than I would like to pay for Conley. But again, when you're the Jazz, like, what's the alternative here? Letting him walk really is not an option, given that it's Utah. You know, they don't attract a whole lot of free agents. And so when you have a guy who's as talented as Mike Conley that wants to be in Utah, I think you got to resign him. I don't love the number on it but at the end of the day the jazz again they did what they had to do they brought him back so i really can't complain even though i don't love the number on it lonzo ball this is probably my favorite signing honestly lonzo ball to the bulls four years 85 million dollars in a sign and trade the bulls had to give up a little bit just to match salary because they didn't have enough cap space to just sign him outright so they sent out tomas sadaransky they sent out garrett temple those are two guys that I'm sure the Bulls don't mind giving up. I actually think Garrett Temple was like sneaky important for the Bulls last year, just given his like veteran presence and his ability to contribute on both ends of the floor. But, you know, getting Lonzo in, that's definitely an upgrade over Sadoransky and Temple. So I'm sure the Bulls are fine with that one. And I think, you know, 20 mil a year for Lonzo, I think is a pretty fair number, given that he's still only 23 years old and there's a lot of reason to believe that he's going to continue to get better. So I think 20 to 22 a year, that's pretty good value for Lonzo and I think he's absolutely a perfect fit with the Bulls. I know I'm not the only one that has long wanted Lonzo to go to Chicago, but now it's a real thing. I, I think it's going to be a great fit. I think him and Levine pair extremely well together. I think what those two guys do complements each other extremely well. Lonzo doesn't really need the ball in his hands, and in fact, he's probably better without the ball in a half-court setting, which will still allow Levine to run the show on offense, but it gives him another ball handler that he can rely on. And in the open court, you know, in the fast break, Lonzo is one of the best playmakers in all of basketball. He also compliments Levine defensively. Of course, Lonzo can guard multiple positions, and perimeter defense was one of the weakest points for the Bulls this past season. So I think Lonzo is going to slide in and make a huge impact for this Bulls team. I'm really glad that he ended up there um, multiple years now. I've wanted him to go to Chicago. So now that it's come to fruition, I'm really excited for it. I think the Bulls made a lot of good moves that we're going to get into later. But this was probably my favorite one uh, from the first two days of free agency just across the entire league. I love this fit. 
I think they got him on a fair contract. They didn't have to give up too much for him and he's going to fit in perfectly. So I really like this move for them. Now to jump back to Miami, I want to talk about Duncan Robinson, his five-year $90 million extension. This is the largest contract for an undrafted player. Fred Van Vliet, when he signed his contract last summer, he got the most money per year. He got, I want to say it was like four years, 88 million. So technically Van Vliet is the highest paid undrafted player, but this is the biggest contract because it's slightly more than that 88, but it's over five years. It's really just semantics. Duncan Robinson got an absolute bag and it's well-deserved. He's one of the best shooters in all of basketball. And we know that shooting's at a premium. Shooters get, I'm not going to say overpaid because ultimately, you know, they get paid their value. But shooters get paid, and Duncan Robinson's one of the best in the game at it. So he got, I mean, just short of $20 million a year. If I will say, if he does not develop over the next five years, if he just sort of stagnates as a player, then I think the Heat might regret giving him this much money. But, I mean, I'm going to say this probably 100 times over the, the rest of this episode. What was the alternative? You know, letting, letting Duncan Robinson walk, especially with the moves that they made to sort of go all in on a contending team, Letting Duncan Robinson walk was not a viable option for them, so they sort of were forced to bring him back. Regardless of whether or not you think this is the correct value for Duncan Robinson, they didn't have much of a choice, and I mean, they're going to need him. Despite all the great moves that Miami was able to pull off at the start of free agency, they still definitely need a lot of shooting, and so Duncan Robinson's going to be a huge piece of this team, so I'm glad that they locked him up. I'm very happy for him. He went from a Division three college player to now signing a deal worth nearly $100 million. That's absolutely incredible. So shout out to Duncan Robinson. He got the bag, good for him. Jared Allen also got the bag. He got a five-year extension, $100 million. I'm sort of, I, this is one where I don't really have a definitive opinion on it. I like Jared Allen a lot. Um, I think, you know, the cost at which they acquired him, which was like a Bucks first round pick, which is essentially a second round pick. I mean, they got him for almost nothing. So they didn't want to lose him for nothing. But at the end of the day, I am just not a big fan of paying non-elite centers north of like $10 million a year. We saw last year in free agency, guys like Montrez Harrell, Serge Ibaka, Tristan Thompson, they all signed for the mid-level exception, well, mid-level exception of about $9 million. And half of those teams ended up trading those players away because they just weren't worth that much money. You know, Derek Favors got dumped to the OKC Thunder, cost them, cost a Utah first round pick. Tristan Thompson got sent off to the Kings. Montrose Harrell, obviously, he got traded for, for Westbrook. Ibaka accepted, I know he was hurt, but Ibaka accepted his $9 million player option because he knew the market was just not going to be there for him. Centers, unless you're, you know, all-NBA, all-star level, centers just don't have the type of value to be given out $20 million a year. So on that end, I don't love the five-year $100 million extension, but at the same time, I really do like Jared Allen. I think he is a really good young center. I think he can fit in really well with what the Cavs want to build, even though I don't love the fit with him and Mobley. So I, I don't really have a definitive opinion on this one. I like Jared Allen, but I don't like paying a center who isn't elite $20 million a year. So that's really all I got on that one. Uh, next one, Norman Powell got a five-year deal with the Blazers worth $90 million. Now, this is an interesting one because, of course, the Blazers don't want to trade Dame. He won't, at least to this point, publicly request a trade. And so if you're, you know, if you're building your team with Dame in mind, then bringing back Powell makes sense. But I think we all know that it's just not going to work out for the Blazers. I think we've all sort of given up hope on them in terms of them being an actual contender. And so extending Norman Powell for the next five seasons just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, you can, you can go back to the same argument that I've already made like four times. Like what else are you going to do? Were you going to just let him walk? Probably not. But five years for Norman Powell, I mean, the dollar amount, that's one thing. We can talk about that in a second. But 
to give Norman Powell a five-year extension when you don't even know if your your star player is going to be there for the next for the next year. So I don't love this. Um, I think it's a signing that was made to sort of just hope that Damian stays. But I think we all know at some point he's probably going to be out of there. And if he's not, I mean, the Blazers still aren't contending for a title. So this is really more an indictment on, you know, the Blazers situation at large, more so than it is just this one contract for Norman Powell. I don't love it, but I, I can understand it. They gave up Gary Trent Jr. because they didn't want to pay him. And so, you know, they kind of had to pay Powell, I guess. But I just I just don't love it because I just think the Blazers need to blow it up. If they can if they can pull off a CJ for Ben Simmons swap, then maybe you give them one last shot at it because that would be a pretty big shakeup for the roster. But ultimately, I think they just got to blow it up. It just isn't working with the team that they have. So now having Powell on the books for the next five years, if they were to, say, trade Dame at the deadline this year, now they're stuck with five seasons of Norman Powell, which doesn't help you tank. It doesn't help you with your rebuild. So I'm kind of under the assumption here with my analysis on this. I'm kind of under the assumption that they are going to trade Dame eventually, whether they want to or not. And with that being said, giving Norman Powell a five-year deal at what, 18 a year? I don't really feel like doing the quick math on it, but giving him nearly $20 million a year for the next five seasons, probably not the best option when you know you're going to have to trade Dame pretty soon, but maybe they know something I don't. I doubt it, but the Blazers weren't going to let him walk for nothing, I suppose. I just don't love it for them only because I am assuming that Damian Lillard will get traded. And at that point, I guess Powell becomes tradable too. But at 18 mil a year, I'm not sure there's going to be a whole lot of teams just begging to trade for Norman Powell at that dollar amount. So this could end up being really bad for them. But I mean, you know, maybe they got plans that I, I'm just not aware of. But personally, I just think it's going to end up being something that sort of holds them back when they do eventually have to go into a rebuild. Evan Fournier, he got a four-year deal to go to the Knicks worth $78 million, prying him away from the Celtics. I know the Celtics wanted to bring him back, but they definitely were not interested at the number he was looking for, and he was able to find it elsewhere. The Knicks use up most of their cap space to bring him in. I think it's 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 a lot, you know, nearly $20 million a year for someone like Evan Fournier, who has literally never proven that he can play well in the playoffs. It, it feels like a lot, for sure. You know, Evan Fournier is 0 for 4, basically, in his playoff career, just four bad performances all four years that he made it to the postseason. But on paper, Fournier does provide a lot of what the Knicks need. They were a really good defensive squad just as a team, but offensively they really struggled and we saw that against the Hawks. They got absolutely exposed in the half court because Julius Randle is actually not quite the level of shot creator that he showed over the regular season. So Evan Fournier on paper brings that sort of ISO scoring that they need, but giving him four years, $78 million, I mean, that's that's a lot of money for someone like Evan Fournier. There is a team option on that fourth year, which I'm sure they've already declined in their head at least. Still kind of a lot of money to be given out to Evan Fournier, I think. I, I'm glad as a Celtics fan that they didn't even come close to matching that. I think they were trying to offer more like 14 a year rather than 18, which 14 a year I think would be a lot more fair. That's a, a much closer to what his value is in my mind. So I'm glad that the Celtics stayed away from that one, even though that's a big piece of the Hayward trade exception that is sort of walking for nothing and it cost them two second round picks to acquire Fournier. But I honestly, I'd rather just see him walk rather than see him stuck on the books for 18 mil a year. For the Knicks, I think it makes a little bit more sense than it would have for the Celtics because for one, they had the cap space to spend and also they were desperately in need of a scorer like Fournier, whereas the Celtics definitely need scoring. To, to build out their roster, but given that they have two all-star level players already, they didn't need it as much as the Knicks do, so I think it makes a little bit more sense for them than it would have for the Celtics. But ultimately, I don't love it. Fournier, you know, hasn't been a good playoff performer throughout his entire career, 
and that's what they really need him to be in order to make this signing sort of worth it in my mind and so I mean we'll see you know new situation maybe he can sort of improve but all three years that he made the postseason with the Magic he was terrible and I know he was dealing with COVID when he was with the Celtics but he was not great in that first round series against the Nets either. So he's really 0 for 4 um, in his four postseason appearances. So this could end up coming back to bite the Knicks. But given their options, you know, they weren't going to get Kawhi. Chris Paul didn't really have much of an interest in leaving Phoenix. So they weren't going to go after any of those big fish. And so with that being said, I think Evan Fournier is a decent consolation prize. Although I don't love that they tied up a lot of their money for the next few years. They re-signed Alec Burks, Snurlin's Noel, and Derrick Rose all to three-year deals all worth North of $10 million a year. I think Burks got exactly 10, but Nerlens Noel got three for 32. Derrick Rose got, I think it was three for 43. So they tied up a lot of their money for the next three seasons on guys that are good, definitely good NBA players, but not players that are going to get them anywhere past like the sixth seed in the East. So as a whole, I don't love what the Knicks did unless they have this sort of master plan, which would make sense if they did. But unless they have this sort of master plan in which, you know, a year or two down the line, they plan to trade for the next big disgruntled star, like say Carl Anthony Towns or De'Aaron Fox, someone like that, unless they're going all in on that sort of plan, then I don't really know exactly what they're doing here besides just tying themselves into the six seed for the next few seasons, which honestly for the Knicks is probably not the end of the world. Like if they just make the playoffs for the next three years, I think they can be pretty happy about that just given where they've been for the last 25 years. And you definitely do need, like when you're making those, those star level trades, like say for Carl Anthony Towns, for example, Oftentimes you need those mid-sized contracts like those 10 to 15 million dollar contracts to make that sort of a trade work And so I guess that's what these deals could be, you know down the line But I don't know. I don't I don't love what the Knicks did um, But I can see a plan sort of shaping there if that is indeed their plan I have to assume that that's what they want to do just given that you know, they're in New York that market needs a star so I have to imagine that their plan is to go after one of those big-time names down the line but just looking at it for this one season I don't love it. They're kind of stagnating. Uh, they lost Reggie Bullock and they brought everyone else back and then added Evan Fournier. They're kind of in the same place they were in unless Fournier can prove that he can perform in the postseason. And even then, you know, like if you add Evan Fournier to this Knicks team this year, do they still not get embarrassed by the Hawks? I doubt it. So ultimately, I don't love what the Knicks did, but I think assuming that they have a sort of bigger picture in mind here, not the end of the world. So the next deal I want to talk about, Tim Hardaway Jr., he's sticking with the Mavs on a four-year deal, $74 million. This feels like it's a lot of money for someone like Tim Hardaway Jr., but when you think back to the way he played for the Mavericks in the postseason, I think they had to bring him back, and there was definitely a lot of suitors for him. There were a lot of teams that were interested in signing him, so to go up to this number was kind of required, and ultimately I think it'll be worth it. He was getting paid a pretty hefty number already. He sort of re-signed for the same value, so... The, the Mavs aren't losing future flexibility by just extending basically the contract he already had. So I like it for them. I think he really fits in well with, with Luka. I think he complements him well as a wing player that can hit open shots and defend a few positions, move the ball. He definitely fits in well. And given that, you know, they don't really lose any flexibility with this signing, I like it for them to bring him back. Not much to say there. I, I think it's a good fit. It was a smart extension. Gary Trent got a three-year extension to stay with the Raptors for $54 million. This is actually less than I thought he was going to sign for because there was some talk of him getting 20 plus mil, at which case I would have called it a horrible signing because I don't think Gary Trent is worth $20 million whatsoever. But at three years, 18 a year, that's a little bit more manageable. I think he's a really good piece for Serrano. I see him as more of like a six man 
you know, come off the bench and just get buckets type of guy for a contending team. But given that the Raptors aren't really in contention right now, I think he can play a pretty big role for them. He is extremely young. I want to say he's still just 22 years old. So he could end up being a really important piece for the Raptors down the line. I think he's probably more useful as a trade chip if the Raptors are looking to get back in contention within the next three years. But if not, he's going to come in and be a really solid scorer for them for the length of this deal. If it was a four-year deal for like 80 plus mil, then I probably would have been bashing it a little bit more. But three years at 18 a year for someone like that that can score the ball the way he can. It's not a bad deal in my mind. Um, it's definitely very tradable if need be. And of course, they didn't want to they didn't want to let him walk for nothing after they traded Norman Powell for him. So it doesn't really get me all that excited. But, you know, I can't really hate on it. I think it's a pretty solid extension here for both sides. Next up, we got DeMar DeRozan. Three years, $85 million. Another signing trade for the Bulls to bring in another high-level wing player. Now, this one was a little bit more expensive than the Lonzo Ball signing trade. They had to give up. Thaddeus Young, Al Farouk Aminu's $10 million expiring, a first round pick and two second round picks. So they gave up a lot in addition to just signing him to nearly $30 million a year. They had to give up quite a bit to acquire him. But ultimately, I think, you know, this is another W for the Bulls. They've really sort of gone all in on this next year or two with this team, which I like. I'm glad that they're sort of going all in. I really want to see Zach Levine on a competitive team because he's never played for a team. I'm pretty sure he's never played on a team with a winning record. So I'm glad that the Bulls are finally going to be a competitive team next year. I think the fit of all the guys they brought in makes a decent amount of sense. I know DeRozan is always sort of a tough fit no matter the situation because of the fact that he doesn't stretch the floor. But I think his playmaking ability surrounded by Levine and Lonzo, I think he can fit in really well. There's going to be a lot of questions about this team's defense because outside of bringing in Lonzo and Caruso as two point of attack defenders, they don't really have a whole lot of defense on this roster, which is definitely a concern, but I definitely like the offensive fit of Lonzo, Levine, DeRozan, Vucevic, and then plug in you know Patrick Williams or whoever you want, really. I think they're going to be really fun to watch. I will say, though, for the number that they signed him at, three years, $85 million, I think that's probably way over what his market value was because if you look at the teams that still had money to go after a guy like DeRozan like who are the Bulls competing against that's the one thing I don't like about this deal is just the amount it took to acquire him I like getting DeMar DeRozan for the Chicago Bulls but I mean they're paying him they're paying him basically 30 million dollars a year look at the teams who had cap space so the OKC Thunder they're not rebuilding around a 32-year-old guard. He was not going there. The Knicks used up basically all of their cap space bringing in Evan Fournier. Teams like the Lakers and the Clippers, all they really had to offer was the mid-level exception. I'm not really sure who the Bulls were competing against. Even the Spurs. I don't really think the Spurs were all that keen on bringing him back. So I don't really know who the Bulls were bidding against here. It feels like they gave him a whole lot of money. I don't really mind giving up Thad Young and, you know, Alfred Camino. I mean, Aminu was really more valuable just as a $10 million expiring contract than he is an NBA player. So I don't really mind what they had to give up in the sign-in trade, although I was really expecting it to be a double sign-in trade with Laurie Markkinen. That kind of just felt like that was going to happen. But then the, uh, the Spurs signed John Collins, which we'll get, or excuse me, Zach Collins, which we'll get to. Um, so I don't really mind what they had to give up. I just don't really understand why they had to give him basically $30 million a year. I don't know who else was offering him that much money. So outside of that, I definitely like this. I just don't think they had to pay him as much as they did. But like I said, I think it's going to be a great offensive fit. Lonzo, Levine, DeRozan, Vucevic, like that's that's a really good core. And honestly, I think if Patrick Williams can have sort of a year two leap, we could definitely see the Bulls as one of the better teams in the East. They're definitely not going to be in the conversation with like the Nets or the Bucks 
or maybe even the Heat, assuming that um, all those moves that they made pan out. But I think right below them, when you talk about teams like the Hawks, the Knicks, the Celtics, the Bulls could very easily be right in the thick of that conversation. So all in all, I, I like what the Bulls did. Um, I'll talk about Alex Caruso really quickly. They got him four years, $37 million, I believe it is off the top of my head, which feels like maybe a little bit more than Caruso is worth, you know, $9 million for just a role player. Maybe it's more than you'd want to pay him, but I don't think it's too bad. It's definitely not a massive overpay by any means. And, you know, I think what Caruso does is definitely what the Bulls need. Just sort of like a glue guy that's going to play hard perimeter defense. He's going to move the ball. He'll hit some shots. He'll drive to the rim. I think he's, I mean, Caruso would fit in well anywhere, but I definitely do like the fit, particularly in Chicago. So the number that it took to acquire him, maybe a little bit more than you'd want. But at the end of the day, I think that's a good signing. I was really surprised that the Lakers didn't bring him back considering they don't have that many avenues to improve their roster. So to bring back a guy like Crusoe would have been huge for them. Um, I was pretty surprised to see him walk, but good another good pickup for the Bulls. I think you definitely got to look at the Bulls as one of the biggest winners in this free agency. They probably improved more than any other team. And so you have to look at that as a W, even if, you know, maybe their ceiling isn't a title contender, but Given just how much they improved with, you know, the avenues that they had to improve the team, I think they did a fantastic job. So, I mean, that's really the thick of it in terms of like the really big free agent signings. There's plenty more that I'm going to run through, but that's probably about as in-depth as I'm going to go for any of these signings. I'll try to run through some of these smaller ones pretty quickly. Uh, Will Barton returning to the Nuggets two years, $32 million. He had a player option that was like 14 and a half or 15-ish, and he basically just got a little bit more than that. He ended up with 16 a year for the next two years. Good signing for him. Nuggets definitely needed Will Barton back. So good signing there for both sides. Rashawn Holmes, four years, $55 million to stay with the Kings. This is less than I thought he was going to get. I thought he was going to be in the Jared Allen conversation in terms of how much money he was going to get, which in my mind would have been an overpay. So to keep him, four years, $55 mil. I think that's a good deal for the Kings. They desperately need a center. Even like they resigned Rashawn Holmes and they still really need a center. So at this number, I, I think they got to walk away feeling like it's a win. Doug McDermott, three years, $42 million to the Spurs. I, you know, I, maybe I'm underrating Doug McDermott. I don't really feel like he's worth 13, 14 million a year. It feels like a bit of an overpay to me, especially for a team like the Spurs, because Doug McDermott I mean, he is a veteran at this point, and he's really just a shooter. He can do a little bit of everything. Like, he is a solid all-around player, but he's really out there just to spread the floor, shoot the ball. And given where the Spurs are at as a franchise, I don't really get why they wanted to bring in Doug McDermott so bad. I mean, this is a team that definitely isn't competing for anything major in, in the near future. They're definitely, you know, a rebuilding team, given that they let DeRozan walk, they let Patty Mills walk. I don't really understand why they wanted to bring in McDermott. They definitely do need shooting, that, that's to be sure, but I don't really know what Doug McDermott does for them in the long term, because over the course of these next three years, the Spurs aren't really competing for much, so I don't really know why they wanted to bring him in, but I guess just the basketball fit does make a decent amount of sense, they needed a shooter, but outside of that, I can't really understand why they gave him 15 a year for the next three years. Next, we have what was probably the most confusing signing of the entire offseason, Kelly Olynyk going to the Pistons for three years, $37 million. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Kelly Olynyk was one of the most underrated free agents in this class. I thought if he was able to go to more of a contending team, he could have been a really huge signing for somebody. But for him to go to the Pistons, I mean, why? Just, just why? It doesn't make any sense for the Pistons to give him this kind of money. The Pistons signed Mason Plumlee last offseason for three years, $25 million. 
And then they immediately traded him this offseason to the Hornets. So I don't really understand why replacing that contract that they clearly didn't like with this Kelly Olynyk deal, like why does that make any sense for them? Kelly Olynyk isn't some like prospect that they're going to develop over the course of the next three years. He sort of is who he is at this point. And so what is he really providing for the Pistons? The Pistons aren't contending for anything. This this deal made absolutely no sense to me. Um, given that they traded Mason Plumlee, they clearly weren't trying to have, you know, veterans that eat up a lot of minutes. They clearly want to play their young guys. That's why they traded Mason Plumlee. But then why did they go and sign Kelly Olenek? I just, I just don't get it. I don't really understand anything that the Pistons do for the most part. This was easily the most confusing signing of any, for me at least. I like Kelly Olenek a lot. I think he's a good player. He's someone that could contribute for a contending team. But the Pistons are not that. And so I just don't really understand. I don't really understand what his interest was in signing there. Maybe he was just getting the most money from Detroit. And at which case, you know, you got to chase the bag. But for the Pistons, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't know what interest they would have had in Kelly Olenek. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. All right, before I get too emotionally invested in what the Pistons are doing, let me move on. Devontae Graham got a four-year deal with the Pelicans, $47 million dollars. It was a sign and trade. Uh, the Hornets got back a first round pick from the Pelicans. I wasn't able to find out which pick it is because the Pelicans have like a million first round picks to hand out. I'm not sure which pick it is, but they got an unprotected first round pick for Devontae Graham. That's a W for Charlotte. They definitely didn't need to bring him back. They have a ton of guards. So they didn't really need to bring him back to get a first round pick for him. That's huge. For the Pelicans, I could go into a deeper rant about the Pelicans and what they got going on. I think I want to do like a solo video just just talking about just the Pelicans so I won't get too in depth on it right now I'll just talk about this signing I think Devontae Graham is definitely a good fit for for Zion not the most efficient shooter in the world but he'll definitely put up a lot of shots he'll keep the defense honest with a lot of three-point attempts which just that alone even if he's only hitting it like 35 36 percent just the fact that he's going to take eight to nine threes a game is going to help open up the floor for Zion and he's definitely someone that has more room to improve as a player. He's definitely not a finished product. And so four years, 47 million, I think that's pretty fair value. I think he can definitely prove to be worth that much money for the Pelicans over the next four years. But having to give up another pick, I mean, they gave up, essentially they gave up two first round picks to get off of the Bledsoe and Adams, Adams contracts. I know they got the pick back from the Grizzlies, but they had to move back in the draft. They had to give up a Lakers pick in that deal. And now they're giving up another first round pick to acquire Devontae Graham when... They could have just kept Lonzo Ball. They could have just kept the player that their two franchise guys publicly stated that they wanted back on the team. But again, I don't want to go too deep in the Pelicans because I think I'm going to do a separate video talking about them at, uh, at large. So I'm not going to get too in depth on that. Um, I think Devontae Graham, just in a vacuum, is a good signing for the Pelicans. I think he's going to fit in well. It definitely, you know, it's going to make it harder to give guys like Kyra Lewis and Nikhil Alexander-Walker more minutes which is another issue that, again, I don't want to get too in-depth on right now. But just in a vacuum, again, I think Devontae Graham's a good fit because of his shooting ability. He'll space the floor for Zion. He's an extra ball handler. And at 4 for 47, I think it's pretty good value. Reggie Bullock, I mentioned briefly a couple minutes ago, he left the Knicks to go to the Mavericks three years, 30 million. I think Reggie Bullock was the most underrated player in the NBA last season, like truly underrated. There are a lot of guys that, you know, probably get shit on way more than they need to by the NBA community. But Reggie Bullock is someone that does not get talked about whatsoever. Like I can't remember the last time I've ever heard anyone talk about Reggie Bullock, but he's a starting level wing in the NBA. And so I think he's probably the most underrated player in the league. And still, I think $10 million a year for him over the next three years is a little bit questionable. I think he's going to be a great fit with the Mavs. I think him spacing the floor for Luka and being able to defend a few positions, like 
He's going to fit in well with the Mavs, but I definitely didn't think his market value was $10 million. That's the one thing you have to keep in mind with all these signings is like you might have something in your mind about what you think a player's value is, but it all depends on what the market is and what other teams are willing to pay for him. I didn't feel like, I mean, obviously the Mavs have better intel than me, but I didn't think there would be another team out there willing to give Reggie Bullock that type of money. So it feels like they gave him more than they needed to, but maybe, you know, maybe they knew that there was someone else out there willing to offer him roughly 10 mil a year. Maybe. I don't know. If that's the case, then, you know, give, matching that contract and picking up Reggie Bullock, I think it's worth it. I think he's going to fit in well. Um, I think playing with someone like Luca, he's going to get more shine now. And I think people will realize how talented of a player he is. I just definitely didn't expect him to get 10 mil a year over three years. But at the end of the day, I think he's going to fit in well. So it'll be a worthwhile pickup for the Mavs. Jermichael Green signed a two-year, $17 million deal to stay with the Nuggets. Jermichael Green is definitely like a pretty important piece of the Nuggets rotation, but I didn't feel like he was a $9 million a year type of guy, especially given his age and the fact that we can probably expect him to start to decline here in the next few years. I didn't really see his market value at $9 million a year, but he definitely was like an important piece of the Nuggets, and the Nuggets definitely value continuity very highly, so I wasn't surprised that he got re-signed. I just was expecting more like, two for 10 or one for five, something like that. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's not my luxury tax bill to pay. So I don't really mind it. I like that they brought him back. That's all I can really say. PJ Tucker, two years, 15 mil for the heat. I was pretty surprised to see him not stick with the Bucks. I was expecting him to come back after uh, sort of the way he acted at the the championship parade that they had. It sort of seemed like he was going to come back, but apparently the Bucks just were looking to sort of lighten their tax bill. And so now he's on the heat. I honestly, I don't blame the Bucks for that. Honestly, uh, you know, they, they're coming off of a title. And so generally you would expect a team coming off of a title to bring back all of their players and try to run it back with maybe some additions. But I honestly think it's probably within the best interest of the Bucks to not bring back P.J. Tucker because despite how important he was for them over the course of the playoffs, like him matching up with Kevin Durant, I know Kevin Durant basically scored at will, like he, he got 50 pieces, but P.J. Tucker guarding Durant over the course of the seven-game series really took a toll on Durant, and I think it was one of the bigger X-factors over the course of the series, so he definitely provided a lot of value for them during their championship run, but I think he was being overvalued, at least by like NBA fans, because his inability to really do anything offensively really crippled the Bucks. Like they were playing four on five offensively a lot of the times when he was on the court. And so despite the defensive impact that he can have, I'm not against them deciding to go in a different direction. And for the Heat, I think it's definitely a good signing in terms of, you know, they needed someone that can fill that front court spot next to Bam. They needed someone that can add more of that heat culture because they can never get enough of that heat culture. And I mean, the heat are going all in on this championship window. So like the amount of money really doesn't matter. I think he's definitely going to hurt Miami's offense. Like they're going to struggle to score with a lineup of even Lowry, Robinson, Jimmy, PJ, and Bam. I think that they're going to struggle to score more than I think people are letting on right now. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that PJ Tucker can't really do much offensively. I think as long as the Heat aren't relying on PJ too much, then it should be just fine. Like if, if they can find someone else that they can plug in during times when they need more of an offensive punch and PJ Tucker doesn't have to be relied on to hit a lot of corner threes, then I think it's going to be a really good signing for them. But if they are expecting him to be like Houston PJ Tucker and just be like this monster shooter from the corners, it's just not going to happen. Go look at PJ Tucker's playoff stats from this last year. He is basically a zero offensively at this point in his career. So I think the Heat are going to struggle to score more than people are letting on, but 
that defense is going to be filthy, man. So ultimately, I think it's a good signing for them. They needed someone that could fill that four spot. So I like the signing for the Heat, and I don't mind the Bucks moving on from him at the same time. So next one, Daniel Tice got a four-year deal with the Rockets worth $36 million. It was reported as a sign-in trade, but it hasn't really been disclosed yet what the sign-in trade is going to be. But I like Daniel Tice a lot. Obviously, as a Celtics fan, I watched the beginning of his career going from someone who was just like an end-of-the-bench, fill-out-the-roster kind of guy to being the starting center of the team. I think Daniel Tice is, is really good center. I think I was surprised to see the Rockets sign him, just given you know the state of the franchise. You know, they're clearly a rebuilding team, and Daniel Tice is, I want to say, like 27, 28 already, so he's not really going to be there when the Rockets are ready to compete, but I guess they, they definitely needed another big man that they could throw out there outside of Christian Wood, so I think it's a pretty good signing. I think he's going to fit in well. Like, given the type of team that they wanted, they, they chose Jalen Green over Evan Mobley because they wanted to go with a one-big system. It's why they also didn't trade for Jared Allen. They really want Christian Wood to sort of be their only big man. And so to have Tice as the backup to Christian Wood makes a lot of sense. I think that that's that's a backup that like makes sense for who the starter is. So I guess from that sense, it makes sense. Daniel Tice is a good player and he's going to help provide some stability for the Rockets. But I was kind of surprised to see him go there just given that the Rockets aren't really competing for much over the next few years. TJ McConnell signed a four-year deal worth $35 million to return to the Pacers. TJ McConnell had a career year last year. He sort of forced Aaron Holiday out of the rotation to the point where Aaron Holiday ended up getting traded to the Wizards. So I like this signing for the Pacers. They are a team that also could use like uh, an individual video for me to do because the Pacers are really in flux. Like they can go so many different directions with what they have going on right now. There's so many just like good quality players on the roster that it doesn't make sense for how bad they are. Like they should have a better record than just what the roster shows, but obviously it doesn't fit very well. We've been talking for years at this point about the Turner Sabonis thing. So I think they're definitely really interesting in terms of like the rest of the offseason, what they might do. But I like that they brought back TJ McConnell. He was definitely really good for them. And so at like eight and a half million dollars a year, I think that's pretty solid value. Uh, assuming that they try to contend in the next four years, I have to imagine that's the plan after they hired Rick Carlisle. I don't think they're going to go into a rebuild. So with that in mind, I think bringing back TJ McConnell makes a lot of sense. He's one of the best backup guards in the league. Zach Collins got a three-year deal worth $22 million from the San Antonio Spurs. This one, I mean, outside of Kelly Olenek, this was one of the most surprising deals just because, I mean, Zach Collins has hardly played NBA basketball, like ever, in his whole career. He played 66 games in his rookie year, cool, 77 in his second season. And then in his third season, he played 11 games before getting hurt and didn't play the entirety of last season due to injury. And he also rebroke his foot. And so he's going to miss potentially all of this next season. I don't know exactly what his timetable is, but he will not be ready for the start of this next season. So I was really surprised. I mean, honestly, I don't know what I'm more surprised about, the three years or the seven plus million per year. I guess the Spurs are in a situation where they can take a flyer on that kind of guy, but... To me, a flyer is not three years at $7 million a year. I don't see why he couldn't have been signed, literally just for a minimum. I don't know who else was really looking. I mean, maybe there's another team that was interested in him just on a flyer, but I can't imagine there was another team in the league looking to give him seven plus mil, especially over three years. So this was a pretty confusing one to me. The Spurs are another team that I think I could do like a whole video on because I think the direction that they've been going basically since the Kawhi trade has really not been good. I mean, they really, I mean, the Kawhi situation is a unique one. Like I'm not faulting them for what they had to get back in that trade, but 
even like since then, they just have not made a lot of good decisions. They just have not been the same Spurs that we know and love. And so this is just another one of those deals that the Spurs have made that I just don't really understand. Now, if you're if you're really high on Zach Collins and you think he can be a really high level center in this league, then maybe you like this deal more than me. But I never liked Zach Collins to begin with. When he was the 10th overall pick, it didn't make any sense to me at the time. He was someone that at his one season at Gonzaga came off the bench. So I never really saw it with Zach Collins, and in the 151 games he's played in his career, I didn't see anything that warranted changing my opinion on him. So I'm really confused by this deal, but you know, I don't get paid to do this stuff. I just do it because I enjoy it. So Spurs know more than I do. Maybe it'll work out. I just don't see it personally. The Suns re-signed Cameron Payne. Three years, $19 million. I think this is a great deal for the Suns. I feel like there was definitely the potential for him to get a little bit more on the open market. But given the career path that Cameron Payne has had, I think he has to be really happy about $6 million a year. Not much else to say. I mean, Cameron Payne was pretty important for the Suns. I think we all saw that in the postseason. So glad that they're bringing him back. Patty Mills, he's going to the Nets, two years, $12 million. I don't really understand where teams like the Nets and the Lakers and the Heat, they just get all this money. Like, I understand they have rich owners and so they can afford to pay luxury tax, but... I mean, there is there is a, a cap room in the NBA, and so I don't really, I'll be honest with you, I don't know where they got the money to sign Patty Mills, but they got it. They got Patty Mills, another scorer for them. I mean, the Nets are just, oh man, the Nets are so stacked, man. I, I want to provide some like rational analysis here, but there's not much else for me to say other than the Nets are just stacked, man. I know Patty Mills is not as good in the NBA as he is when he puts on that green Boomers jersey for Australia. But he's still a really good player. He's someone that can get you buckets in bunches. So he's just going to be another high-level scorer for the Nets. And, I mean, they're going to score 130 points a game. Rudy Gay got the same deal, two years, $12 million. He's going to the Jazz. This reminds me of a lot of, like, five years ago or so when the Jazz signed Joe Johnson. And he became, like, all of a sudden a really important piece for them. I think Rudy Gay can come in and provide some offensive versatility which is something that they need. As much as I really like Joe Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich for them, I think they needed something else at the forward spot. They just needed you know, an injection of new talent just in that position. And so I, I really like this signing for them. I think Rudy Gay still has a lot left in the tank just as someone that can be a high-level scorer for you. So this is an under-the-radar signing for the most part. I don't think many people have talked about this one, but I definitely think this was one of the better signings. Obviously, you know, it's not Lonzo Ball. It's not, you know, one of the top names. But I think I think Rudy Gay for this Jazz team can definitely be a high-level contributor. I think they can definitely use what he brings to the table. So, you know, given that the Jazz didn't have a whole lot of flexibility after handing out Conley's extension, I think this is a good addition for them. Jeff Green signed a two-year deal for $10 million with the Nuggets. This is now, I want to say, the 11th team or the 12th team that Jeff Green has played for, which is up there with the most all-time. And I think he's going to come in once again and just be a really good end-of-the-rotation big man for them. Um, he's someone that can provide them defensive versatility. He can go and play the small ball five if they need him to. He can play next to Jokic if that's what they want to do. Um, Jeff Green, to me, is one of the better role players in the league in terms of just how much he can provide for you, all the different things that he can do versus what it costs to put him on your roster at five million dollars a year what jeff green can provide for the nuggets i think that's a great signing for them tory craig also got two years 10 mil he's headed to indiana i like tory craig a lot i think he's definitely a good end of the rotation piece um the first thing that came to my mind when i saw this deal actually was does this affect o'shea Brissett's minutes i you might have never heard that name before but if you watch the pacers towards the end of the season o'shea Brissett was a really good wing for them uh, kind of a do-it-all kind of guy 
uh, really came on strong at the end of the season. And so I was really hoping that he was going to have like full reign to sort of take the next step. And not that Tory Craig would really get in the way of this, but that was just the first thing that came to my mind, honestly, when I saw the Pacers signing a wing. But to actually talk about Tory Craig for a second, I think he's a good addition for them. Tory Craig wasn't good for the Bucks this season. That's why he got traded to the Suns for like not even that much money. Like he got traded straight up for cash and it wasn't even a lot. But we saw with the Suns, he can provide a spark off the bench. So I, I like this addition for the Pacers. I just hope, I honestly, I just hope it doesn't affect Brissett's minutes. I really like O'Shea Brissett. Furkan Korkmaz, three years, 15 million to stay with the Sixers. This is a pretty fair deal. I don't think Furkan's all that good, but he definitely provides what the Sixers need and that's shooting. So to bring him back at $5 million a year, that's a W for the Sixers. Bobby Portis sticking with the Bucks, two years, nine million. He turned down his player option of like 3.7-ish, and he got a little bit more and more years attached to it as well. So that's big for Bobby Portis. That's big for the Bucks because he's now absolutely adored in that city. So if they didn't bring him back, I think Bucks fans would have really been pissed. So glad to see him back. I love that fit for the Bucks. JaVale McGee is going to the Suns, one year, five million dollars. JaVale McGee obviously is not a very high-level center. But what, it, what he provides as an off-the-bench big is exactly what the Suns needed. They just needed someone 7 foot tall that can just give you 10 to 12 minutes a game when DeAndre Ayton is not on the floor. JaVale McGee is perfect in that role. We've seen it basically throughout, not his entire career, but this back half of his career where he's been able to win championships, it's been as just a rotational big that just provides solid, quality, consistent defense and the occasional rim run. That's all he's really going to be asked to do with the Suns. That's all they really need him for. And so I like this addition for them. I don't think they should feel content with what they have in the front court. I think they should definitely, you know, throughout the rest of this offseason and into next season, continue to look for improvements in their front court. But for the time being, I think adding JaVale is a pretty good signing for the Suns. So now before I talk about what the hell the Lakers got going on, I got to mention some of these minimum deals. So some of the notable ones, uh, probably the most notable one was Otto Porter Jr. taking a minimum to go to the Warriors. Uh, apparently he was offered the mid-level exception from multiple teams that he turned down to go to Golden State. I think this is such a perfect fit for Otto Porter. I mean, if he's healthy, he's one of the better 3 and D role players in the league. Like, he almost got a max contract from the Wizards back when he was on the team because of just how high level of a shooter he was. And so if he can stay healthy, which has obviously been the big question since he left Washington... He's going to be really effective for them. Like, I would not be surprised to see him in closing lineups with the Warriors if he can stay healthy because he's that good of a shooter, and I think he has good defensive versatility. I don't think he really stands out on defense, but he's someone that's capable of holding his own against multiple different types of players, and so that's going to be really valuable for the Warriors. That was, in my opinion, easily the highest value minimum contract signed. Warriors also got Nemanja Bjelica, a solid big, um, doesn't really do much for me he's not really moving many needles but a solid veteran minimum signing right there add some depth solomon hill is coming back to the hawks on what i assume is a veteran minimum it wasn't actually reported but these agents now if you've noticed are being credited with like the exact terms of the deals and all these Woj and shams tweets and so given that solomon hill's tweet didn't involve a dollar sign on it i have to imagine that it's for the veteran minimum rodney hood going to the bucks I think that could be a good signing for them. That's like, you know, a low risk, high reward type thing because Hood's also been dealing with a lot of injuries over the last few years. So whether or not he can stay healthy is in question, but if he is able to play consistently for the Bucks, he's someone that can provide some bench scoring for them, 
which is good. You can never have too many guys off the bench that'll get you buckets. So that's a good signing for them. The Heat picked up Dwayne Dedman and Markeith Morris. Dwayne Dedman's a re-sign, but they're bringing him back alongside Markeith Morris. I think, you know, like I mentioned when we talked about P.J. Tucker, the Heat need some front court depth. And so those are two guys that I think, at least over the course of the regular season, can eat up minutes for you just as off-the-bench bigs. I don't really love either of them in a playoff rotation. I think we saw that against the Bucks last year. Dwayne Dedman proved to really not have much value, but... Over the course of the regular season, I think those are two guys that can just provide some solid depth for them. James Johnson's going to the Nets on a minimum. He's really there. I mean, we saw when the Mavericks traded for him last year, he's really there to just be a tough guy because as we know with all these like NBA skirmishes, like when we see people like look like they're going to fight when we know they're not, James Johnson is probably one of the only guys that will like actually fight you. Like this dude is literally a black belt. Like this guy will whoop some ass. So he's really just out there for that toughness factor. I don't know how many minutes he's going to get with the Nets, but... I mean, he's a quality veteran signing for a team that just needs guys to fill out the roster. And now we get to the Los Angeles Lakers. So I'm not going to talk about the Russ trade. Um, I mentioned that on my Instagram if you want to see my thoughts on that. There's not much to say yet in terms of like the basketball fit because a team with Russell Westbrook and LeBron James on it, like that's so unpredictable. There's really no telling what that could end up being. But I will mention the minimum signings that they were able to make to fill out the roster. They mostly brought back former Lakers. Like they, they brought back Trevor Ariza, Wayne Ellington, Dwight Howard, Kent Bazemore. Those are all guys that at one point or another in their career did play for the Lakers. So they're all coming back. They were able to lure Carmelo onto the team. He'll be joining. They got Malik Monk on. I'm not sure how much they offered him, but I want to say it was a minimum because I really don't know how else they were able to sign him. And then they gave the mid-level to Kendrick Nunn. He's on a two-year $10 million deal. So in total, they were able to sign Trevor Ariza, Wayne Ellington, Dwight Howard, Kent Bazemore, Carmelo Anthony, Malik Monk, and Kendrick Nunn. Those are the guys that they are signing to fill out the roster. And clearly outside of Howard, it's clear that they're just looking for shooters, which makes sense. They need as much shooting as they can possibly get. How they were able to steal Malik Monk and Kendrick Nunn for what they got is pretty incredible to me. Um, that's probably a clutch thing, if we're being honest. I'm pretty sure Malik Monk is signed to clutch, so... I'm imagining that's how that got done, uh, which whatever, good for the Lakers. I'm not going to complain about it. It's fine, whatever. Uh, these, I mean, none of these guys really, like, on, if, if any of these guys signed to another team, I don't think we'd really be talking much about moving any needles. But given that it's the Lakers, uh, these, these signings are definitely going to be talked about more than any other. And so the obvious thing here is that the Lakers are going to have the oldest roster in the league, as young as Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk are. They are going to have the oldest roster in the league, which... Over the course of a full regular season is maybe something to be concerned about, but I think you can also spin it as this is a group with a whole lot of experience. And on paper, I mean, they they filled the the type of they filled the roster with the type of players that they need. Trevor Ariza, Wayne Ellington, Bazemore, Mello, Nunn, Monk. These are all guys that can shoot the ball. Wayne Ellington is a career 38% three-point shooter. Carmelo had a career high in three-point percentage last year at over 40%. These are all guys that are going to be able to space the floor. And given that they're playing with Russ and LeBron, I think they're going to get a lot of open shots. And so I think the people that were shitting on the Lakers for trading for Russ are probably backtracking now because they were able to add a lot of guys that can shoot the ball. One thing that's really interesting to me, though, is that the Lakers have really just completely abandoned the defensive identity that really won them a title in 2020. Uh, this was a team that really prided themselves on being one of the best defensive teams in the league. And now you look at the roster and... Outside of Anthony Davis, I don't see anyone on the roster that's going to provide a positive impact on the defensive end. 
LeBron at this point, like we know LeBron is capable of being a good defender, but over the course of 82 games, does anyone really expect him to provide much value on the defensive end? Because I'm not. Um, Dwight Howard, I guess, as a backup center, is not a bad defensive big, but again, I don't really think he's providing that much value on defense. So I think it's it's kind of surprising to me that they went in the direction that they did because, I mean, it's clear that their high-level defense is really what separated them when they were at the top of the league. And so I did not expect them to go away from that, but they decided to go the, the three-star route. And when you, know, when you have three stars on your team, especially three veterans who are getting giant contracts more than just like the 30-something mil max, like these guys are getting 40-plus mil, you don't have a lot of flexibility to fill out the roster, and so it's hard to find guys that are going to provide good defense while also giving the Lakers the necessary spacing. So after signing Russ, I guess it made sense that you know they were going to go in the direction that they have now gone, but prior to that deal being done, I did not expect them to just abandon the defensive identity that won them a title. <sighs> All right, I think that is everything. Um, there's some signings I didn't get to. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, he got an extension with the Lakers. Three years, $32 million. That's a fair offer for him. Um, I know there was that quote from an anonymous GM or whoever it was that they would give Taylor Horton Tucker a max. I think that was complete BS. Um, it was probably a real quote, but like whoever said that was just BSing. I, I refuse to believe that anyone wanted to give Horton Tucker a max. But at $10 million a year, I think that's pretty solid value. Uh, he has really high potential. So this could end up honestly being a value deal for the Lakers. But they definitely had to bring him back. Like No matter what the number was, they just had to bring him back just because outside of minimums, they really had no way to improve the roster. So I honestly would have liked to see them spend this type of money on Caruso rather than Horton Tucker just because I think he provides more value for the Lakers next season. But bringing him back was, was a big W for the Lakers. But outside of that, I think that basically covers everything um, up to at least right now. I mean, there's going to be more like Reggie Jackson, Kelly Oubre Jr., Lori Markin, and there's still some guys out there that can make an impact. But for the most part, I think I covered all the big free agent signings. This has been a really exciting offseason. Um, honestly, considering the free agent class that we had, uh, there weren't a whole lot of big names like we were expecting maybe a year ago. But, you know, I think this has been a pretty exciting offseason. I think a lot of teams got better. You know, you look at like the Heat, the Bulls, those two teams stick out mainly for me as teams that really improved their roster in this offseason. But, a lot of teams, I think, got better. A lot of teams were able to fill a lot of holes that they needed. And so I'm really excited, man. I'm, I'm really excited for this season. Uh, summer League's coming up. I guess it's technically started. We had the, the California Classic with uh, the Kings, Lakers, Warriors, Heat. But the actual NBA Summer League starts this Sunday. So I'm really excited for that. And then before you know it, the season's going to be back. So thank you guys for listening. I appreciate all your support. Make sure you do all the algorithm stuff. Rate, subscribe, review. All that good stuff helped me out. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you share this with your friends if you think they'd be interested in listening. Once again, thank you guys for supporting, and I will see you in the next episode.